historical events happen from time to time, and, and what I find is, depending on the significance of the historical event, it tends to, like, uh, do something to our memories, right? We, we, we can remember where we were when, right? You guys know those things? Uh, I know, uh, for example, uh, always hearing from my grandparents, I remember when I heard about Pearl Harbor. Uh, or I remember when, uh, maybe some of you guys can relate, when JFK was assassinated. Right? Some, how many of you remember that? All right. <laughs> Not you, Gavin. <laughs> I remember when the Berlin Wall fell down, or, or, or for my generation, right? I remember when 9-11 took place. Right? I, can, I remember that. I was walking down the hall in our school. We had these TVs that usually ran announcements, but the seniors, uh, before school started, would always turn to cartoons. And as I was walking down the highway, or down the hallway, uh, I looked up and I saw the second plane hit the tower, and I thought they were watching some dumb show as I walked on the way. Uh, it wasn't until later on that I, re I remember that being the actually something significant. Uh, historical events, they, they uh, impress our memories, uh, and they, they, they make us think differently sometimes. We uh, sometimes act differently. Life is not how it used to be now uh, after some of these major things. And so uh, thinking about that, I think about what the disciples must have been going through. The disciples, for three and a half years, they had followed Jesus around. They had come to the conclusion that he was the Messiah. They were excited. They were ready for him to become the next king of Israel. And then he was crucified. And he was buried. And, and what tragedy that must have been. But yet, three days later, as we celebrated last week, Jesus rose from the grave. And I can kind of picture for the disciples, for the rest of their lives, saying, I remember when I heard the news. Or I remember when Jesus first appeared to me. And it must have been something very significant. And, and pretty much the rest of the Bible uh, follows along this line of what happens after Jesus' resurrection. If all of the Bible is pointing to this one singular event, once we get to it, there is an aftermath. There is an aftershock of what is going on. And so what I want to kind of do starting this week is look at uh, these early Christians and see how they reacted to events after Jesus came back to life. And so we're going to be in the book of Acts in this series. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. Uh, you can also follow us on the YouVersion Live app. And we have uh, in the under the events tab, you can find us and see all the scriptures that we're going to use. So you can know when I'm almost done if you really wanted to. And that's what my wife is doing. She's excited about that. So. Uh, so as you're turning there, I do want to kind of uh, talk a little bit. You know, the reason why I think Acts is so important is because uh, it shows us how Christians react to situations, uh, especially uh, these early Christians. They are they're they're treading new ground. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, we come across a verse that says there is nothing new under the sun. And so a lot of what we face in life, the early Christians faced as well. It was a little bit different. It didn't look the same. Obviously, they didn't have internet or TV or Netflix or, or whatever, uh, but they still faced a lot of things that we face. And if we can see how they reacted, the principles can still apply to us today. 
And so that's what I want to kind of do as looking at these different stories we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks, is how did they react to a situation, and how should we react in that same situation? And so we're going to start in Acts chapter 1. Uh, it reads like this in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After, he, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. All right, so uh, first thing we have to notice is uh, whoever's writing this is writing it to a guy by the name of Theophilus, and all you need to know about Theophilus is no one knows who this guy is. All right, we have no clue historically. Uh, there are two major ideas. One is maybe he is the patron of the book, and he's paying this guy to write a history uh, of the early Christians, uh, and he's going to publish it and send it out, and that's why his name is, is written there. Or he could be a defense lawyer. All right, at the end of Acts, we see Paul is imprisoned in Rome. He's about to go to trial before Caesar, and maybe the defense lawyer is named Theophilus. Everybody say that name. Thank you. That, at least I don't, if I stutter over it, we all stuttered over it. All right, Theophilus, uh, he, he could be a defense lawyer, and he's asking to know what is happening. One thing we do know is that if you look in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we also come across this name, Theophilus. So whoever wrote Luke, who, what, who wrote Luke? Yeah, it wasn't a trick question. Luke wrote Luke. All right. Uh, Luke, whoever wrote Luke also wrote Acts. And so it's a continuation of that story. And Luke, in Acts chapter 1, uh, gives us a summary of the gospel of Jesus. All right? It's very simple. It's Jesus came, he taught, he did some amazing things, he died, he suffered, he was, came back to life, and he showed everybody that he came back to life. So if you didn't read Luke, there's your summary. All right, everybody, everybody got what's happening here going on? All right, so Luke says, this is what's happening. And then he says something that's, that's very important that we cannot skip over. And that is that Jesus appeared to the apostles, the disciples, over a period of 40 days, proving that he was alive. And here's why it's important. Our mind is a nasty little booger, if you want to call it that. Uh, it, it, it plays tricks on you. You know, there's a lot of things that our mind just kind of interprets for us, all right? Uh, it, if you ever see a hummingbird and you see its wings flapping, the reality is your eyes can't actually see the wings flap, all right? Your mind thinks it's seeing it, all right? Uh, a great example of this is my mother. I love my mom. I want to make fun of her but in, in a sad way, but it's funny, okay? All right, my mom, <laughs> I love her. I said that. It's, it's recorded. My mom, uh, she is, she's going blind. All right, which is which is very sad. All right, but her blindness is actually very interesting. Like they're doing a special study trying to figure it out. All right, because she is not blind out here, and she's not blind right here. She's blind kind of in this area. All right, and 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 she did not know this for a long time because she wears glasses, and where she was blind at is where her glasses rims are, and so her mind tricked her for many years thinking that she was actually seeing stuff, all right? So if a ball came flying across in front of her, she could see it here, and she could see it here, and her mind thought she saw it here, but it really didn't, all right? It's how the mind works. It interprets things, 
for us. And it's crazy how that happens. And when you put your body and your mind under duress, under stress, it can start to play other tricks on you. And, and, and for the disciples, that's what they're experiencing. They're experiencing stress. This guy who they thought they were Messiah, this guy who they've spent their entire lives following and giving up everything and and going after him, leaving behind family and jobs, he has just been crucified. that, that, That would put a lot of stress. You thought you had a lifetime job and it's suddenly gone. All right, how many of you would that be very stressful? Uh, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. All right, and, and, and so they're under this stress, and then all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them. I mean, how many of you have ever heard someone say they've lost a loved one, and then they saw him in a dream? I mean, we, we hear these stories from time to time. And, and so Jesus appearing for a period of 40 days off and on, it's to prove you're not crazy. Right? And, and so we have, without a doubt, Jesus risen from the dead. And it's exciting. All right? And that's where the disciples are at. And so in verse uh, 4, we read that on one of the occasions that uh, the disciples were eating, Jesus appears to him and he says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John the Baptist, or so, for John baptized you with water, uh, but in a few days I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, Jesus comes to the disciples and he talks about a promise uh, that has been given. And so uh, for a moment, I want to kind of talk about this promise because this is going to be significant in these first two chapters. And it's significant for uh, the rest of Acts and it's significant for us. And it's the Holy Spirit. We do not, as a movement, talk about the Holy Spirit nearly enough. Right, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And, and when we look at the Bible, uh, Jesus says a lot about the Holy Spirit. And he promises the Holy Spirit way back in the Gospels. And so I just want to uh, look at some of Jesus' words that he has on this so that we can learn what the Holy Spirit is going to do for the disciples and for us. And so uh, we're going to look at the last uh, night that Jesus was here. Uh, Jesus, the last night, ate the Passover meal with his disciples, uh, and, and while he's there, he's teaching them last-minute teachings. And one of the things that he talks about over and over again on the Last Supper is the Holy Spirit. And so uh, they're gonna, the words are going to appear on the screen, and we're going to look at sections of this. So John chapter 14 uh, is the first one that he starts talking about. it. He says, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate uh, to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. All right, so this is the first time that Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. And what he, he uses a word here, he uses the word advocate. All right, and so uh, for the remaining four chapters that we're going to look at in John, anytime you see the word advocates, I want you to say Holy Spirit. We can practice this. First service did a terrible job of this, okay? So you guys can do better, okay? The advocate is? Hey, that's that's like 10 times better than their last try. So, all right, great job, guys. All right, we're in practice this, and, and so be aware, be ready, okay? Be on your toes. 
All right, so uh, Jesus is talking about this advocate. He says, hey, I'm going to send this uh, person to you. All right, and, and really what the Holy Spirit is going to start to do for the disciples is what Jesus already is doing for them. All right, Jesus has been present with them. He's been with them every step of the way. He's been guiding them. He's been showing them, answering them questions. And, and Jesus, he knows he's about to leave. And there's something funny that happens to us as human beings when God is not physically present with us. And that is we tend to go our own way. And it happens all throughout the history of Israel. We see it happening over and over again. We, we can look uh, at the very beginnings of Israel as a nation, and we see that they just could not understand without God's divine intervention how to get to the promised land. So God, he provides them with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, and he guides them all the way to the promised land. You know what they did every single step of the way almost? They rebelled. They go, no, I don't want to go there. We want to go back and be slaves. I mean, how crazy is that? You know, they get to, to Mount Sinai. God has come to Egypt, shown his power with 10 miraculous plagues, and says, I am better than every Egyptian god. And so they get to Mount Sinai, and what do they do? They build an idol. And they say, this is our God. How awesome is that, right? That's what happens when we don't always have God's intervention with us. And so uh, Jesus, he, he recognizes that. He understands that. He says, hey, I'm going, but I am going to give you the Holy Spirit. All right, this person of the Godhead, this, this person is going to be with you and he's going to be in you. And so the giving of the Holy Spirit is going to be vastly different than the way God interacted in the Old Testament. The New Testament people of God, we have the Spirit dwelling amongst us, all right, when we meet together, the Spirit is amongst us as Christians, uh, and we also have something extra special, and that is the Spirit of God dwelling inside us as well. All right, we have an indwelling, and we have a communal dwelling, all right, which is really a really cool feature that we got to remember later on for this sermon. All right, so He's dwelling with us and in us. All right, and, and this is different because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was working, but He didn't work in this way. Though in the Old Testament, we're told that the Spirit of God will empower leaders. And the leaders would have him for a period. But the leaders didn't always have him. So that when we look at the books of Judges, when we look at, at, at Moses and Joshua, we're told that the Spirit of God comes upon them. And they're able to do these miraculous things. But then we also hear that it goes away. A great example is Saul. Saul is the first king of Israel, and when he was chosen, we're told that the Spirit of God comes upon Saul, and then Saul sins, and he does things to the point where God says, you know what, you're not the king anymore, and the Spirit of God, we're told, leaves Saul, All right? So the Holy Spirit, it wasn't constantly with the Old Testament people of God, not in the same way that in the New Testament he is, and we are a New Testament people. And if we're Christians, we have the Spirit dwelling amongst us and dwelling inside us as well. All right, so that's one thing that Jesus is talking about here. He says the Spirit that's going to come, the Advocate, He's going to dwell amongst you and in you. And then we read this in verse 25 of John 14. It says, all that I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, and the Advocate is? 
Some of you are way ahead. All right, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Spirit, it's going to be amongst us, it's going to be in us, and it's going to teach us. And he's going to remind the disciples what Jesus said. So let's be honest for a moment. How many of you remember things really well? All right, how many remember what I said last week? Austin, yeah. <laughs> so, so we don't really have always the greatest memory. How many remember what you ate three years ago? All right. Well, Gavin, you only eat like five things, so yeah, I'd believe that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, for the most part, we, we don't always remember every single word that happens. We may, we may remember what a preacher said three years ago, at least the gist, I hope. As a preacher, I hope you guys remember that. All right, but for the most part, it's not that great. All right, and so the Holy Spirit is going to come upon the disciples, and he's going to remind them what Jesus is saying. And there's a lot of times you read the Gospels, and Jesus is saying something, and the disciples are like, what? And we're told later, this is what Jesus meant. So Matthew, he'll do this. He'll say, this is what Jesus said. This is how the disciples reacted. This is what Jesus meant, and we remembered it after the resurrection. And that's just how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is inside us, guiding us. See that Jesus was with the disciples for three and a half years. And for three and a half years, Jesus taught them. He walked with them. He showed them how to love people. He showed them how to reach out to people who needed to know God, how to, re- how bring, to bring people to repentance. And all that time, he's guiding them. But Jesus is gone. And we need somebody else to answer our questions because for the most part, Jesus doesn't always appear to us, does he? I mean, most of us, our entire lives, we're not going to have a visible representation of Jesus audibly talking to us. And so Jesus says, I'm going away, but there's someone else that's going to help you. And that person is the Holy Spirit. He's going to teach you and remind you. Now, this is where The earlier idea of God, the Holy Spirit being amongst us and in us is important. Because the Spirit's goal is not to teach us something that is brand new. If the Holy Spirit says to do something that's not found in the Bible, you might question whether it's you thinking or the other voices in your head. The Holy Spirit is going to guide us in what's already been revealed to us. He's going to guide us through verses. You know, there's times in my lives where I am sitting there trying to figure out where, what, what am I supposed to do in this situation? And as I'm thinking about, praying about, trying to figure out the right way, that's when Bible verses or sermons come back to mind or conversations I've had with other Christians. I'm like, oh, and that's the Holy Spirit prompting me into the right direction. But he's only going to prompt me with what I have. And so, if you haven't been to church in a while, If you haven't read the Bible in a year, if you haven't been in fellowship with other Christians, sometimes it's really hard to hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we get deaf to it. And we get to this point where we end up finding ourselves living in sin, doing things that we wouldn't normally do. And it's because we failed 
to be filling our lives with the Spirit. We fail to be living with our lives with these things that, that empowers the Spirit to, to empower us. We have to be doing these things. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves doing things that we shouldn't be doing. And so the Holy Spirit, He's here to, to dwell amongst us and in us and teach us. And Jesus continues in, in John chapter 15, verse 26, He'll say, uh, when the Advocate, who is the Holy Spirit, all right, He comes, He will, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes, so there's no questions who this is, all right, He will testify about me. All right, so Jesus says that not only is He going to dwell amongst you and in you and teach you, He's going to testify about me. The, the job of the Spirit here on earth uh, with all these other things that we've said, is to testify about Jesus. And when we read the stories in Acts, we see that the power of the Spirit given to the apostles and to the other Christians at this time, they are able to go out and to tell people about Jesus and do it in powerful ways and and transform lives because of it. And they do this sometimes with miracles and sometimes without. You know, and the Spirit can still testify that Jesus is alive. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for our sins. He died to set us free. And when he came back to life, he came to give us life. And when you see people who were living a life of sin suddenly transformed and living a life that is godly, that is the power of the Holy Spirit testifying that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is still powerful today. And that is what the Holy Spirit does. I mean, it guides us in the steps of transformation. It moves us from one place to the other. I mean, that's what His work is here for. You're not suddenly better when you get out of the waters of baptism. Right? The Spirit prompts you to be more and more in the image of the Son. And that's His role. That's His testifying role. So the Spirit is to dwell amongst us. He's going to dwell inside us. He's going to teach us and remind us. And He's going to testify about Jesus. But Jesus isn't done yet. He says this in, in, chapter, in verse 7 of chapter 16. He says, Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away, unless I go the Advocate, who is the? <laughs> come, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. When He comes, He will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgments. And then He talks about how they're going to be wrong in that. And so what the Holy Spirit, uh, one of the things that Jesus says is that unless I leave, unless Jesus ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit can't come. And so Jesus says he's going to come and he's going to uh, do these three things, uh, which is a whole sermon in and of itself. All right, so finally, uh, in verse 13 and 14, Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And so the last thing the Holy Spirit does is he glorifies Jesus. And so this is, this is the promise that Jesus is giving uh, in Acts chapter 1. He says the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's been promised to you. Here are the things that you've learned about him. He's going to be dwelling amongst you. He's going to be dwelling inside you. He's going to be teaching you and reminding you. He's going to be testifying about me. He's going to be glorifying me. And that's what the power of this Holy Spirit does. And he does this not just for the early disciples. He does this for every Christian. 
And so the disciples, they, they hear this, and they get a little confused, because the disciples get confused sometimes. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, we read that they gathered around Jesus, and they asked him, Lord, is it at this time you're going to establish your kingdom? See, the disciples were kind of confused about this idea of Messiah. See, the, the, the Jewish idea of Messiah was that he was going to set up a temporal earthly kingdom. He was going to set up a kingdom here. He's going to be reigning forever and ever on earth. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to set up a kingdom that transcends nations, that transcends time and is one of a spiritual nature. All right, and so Jesus, they're coming to him. They're saying, hey, are you about to set up your kingdom? We're excited. All right, they're excited. You can feel their excitement. And Jesus' response in verse 7 is this. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So Jesus' response is, don't worry about it. Have you ever had a kid that's really excited about something and you tell them, don't worry about it? Well, that's kind of what I picture here. The disciples are like, you ready? You ready? And his response is, eh, don't worry about it. Instead, the one thing that Jesus says there's to worry about is this in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So they're ready for this kingdom to come, and Jesus' response is, don't worry about it. You go tell people about me. And what's crazy is that this should be our response as well. There are a lot of things in life we start to worry about. And in every single one of those things, I think Jesus is saying to us as Christians, don't worry about it. Go tell people about Jesus. Who's going to be the next president of the U.S.? Jesus' response to that question is, don't worry about it. What are you supposed to do? Tell people about Jesus. I mean, we, we, this is what, I mean, this is where we're at in America, right? We're really concerned about this. Who is it going to be? It doesn't matter because God's in control. Don't worry about it. Are you telling people about Jesus? I mean, that's, that's the real question. Your job is terrible. You're not making enough. You don't know where your bills are coming. Jesus says, don't worry about it. Tell people about Jesus. And that can be tough sometimes. It can be comforting too. God is in control. And it doesn't matter. We don't have to know when Jesus is coming back. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't worry about when God's going to come back and, and when it's all going to be better. Tell people about Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit is empowering these guys to do. And for us, it's the same when we as Christians are empowered by the Holy Spirit. When we have the Spirit dwelling amongst us and in us, our goal, our job is not to worry about the things of the earth. Our job is to witness about what Jesus has done for us and to tell other people about what Jesus has done for us. Well, the disciples uh, were told in chapter 2, uh, they go back to Jerusalem, and they just kind of wait around. They didn't have to wait very long. Right? We're told in verse 1 of chapter 2 that the day of Pentecost came. Uh, Pentecost means 50, right? 5-0. 
All right, and, and so we can do a little math, okay? I know it's probably been a while for some of us that we had math class, okay? Jesus, uh, Pentecost is 50 because it's 50 days after Passover. When was Jesus crucified? Passover, thank you, Bible college student. All right, Passover. So he was in the grave for how many days? Three, all right? John, or Luke just told us how many days he appeared to the disciples. It was, all right, 40 plus three is, all right, 50 minus 43 is 7. All right, so the disciples, they only had to wait for, you guys did great. All right, they only had to wait for a week for the Holy Spirit to come. Because in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, The day of Pentecost came. They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that, that uh, separated and came and rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All right, what we need to understand about all of this, because uh, there's a lot here, is the fact that the Holy Spirit came, and He did it in such a way that it caused a commotion. All right, the Spirit comes upon them, and it sounds like a violent wind. And as any of us know, if there is a loud noise, what do you do? Now you go see what you go see what it happened, right? All right. We, we do this all the time, right? You're at school, and, and suddenly people started shouting, fight, fight, fight. You go, go figure out who it was, right? Go watch it. What's happening? I, I remember in college, I was a freshman, so I wasn't, very, I wasn't as good as I was now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was a freshman. I wasn't as smart. I wasn't as smart as I was. Okay. All right. And, and I remember we had a kid underneath us who didn't really like my roommates, all right, my roommate was, was really loud uh, my freshman year. He had an a alarm clock that was a speaker, all right, and he didn't get up. All right, so he, we would play like Bon Jovi over and over and over again uh, at the loudest you could turn it to. All right, and, and so there's good reasons why this guy didn't like my roommates. All right, and so he would always come up and yell at my roommates, and so I decided I was going to take care of that. So I had a friend down the hall that had a 50-pound dumbbell. And so I picked it up and took, I asked him if I could borrow it first, and I took it to my room, and I stood off to the side, and I dropped the dumbbell, all right? And it was loud. And I ran downstairs to see what everybody's reaction was. You know what it was? What was that? <laughs> Everybody, every room had their door open like, what just happened? Right? We had a sonic boom a couple weeks ago, right? Everybody remember that? What was the reaction? What was that? I mean, that's what happens with loud noises, as long as we're not afraid or fear for our lives. We want to know what caused it. And that's what happens here is this loud noise, and we hear that everybody in Jerusalem, not everybody, but a lot of people in Jerusalem come to see what is going on. And what they see is these men speaking in other languages. How this works, I don't necessarily know, and nor does it really matter. The Holy Spirit empowers them to do it. And they're speaking to their languages. This is one of those those feasts that all over the world comes to. All the Jews would come to Jerusalem. And so there's people from all over who are speaking different languages. And if you've ever been into an airport that doesn't speak English and suddenly someone says something to you in English, what does your ears do? You perk up, right? Oh, I know that. All right, and that, that's, that's probably what's happening here is they're speaking to a language that they understand and their ears picked up and their reaction is two things. One of them, some of them are amazed. They're like, wow. Others are, they're drunk. I have no idea how they got that answer, but that's what they got. They're drunk or they're amazed. And, and the disciples, Peter stands up and he says, no, we're not drunk. And here's Jesus. 
And when the power of the Spirit came upon them, the first thing that they started talking about was Jesus. And in verse 37, the very last words that Peter says, verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the hearts, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, they warned them, and they pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number uh, that day. So a lot of people believed. There's a lot of people who didn't. But what Peter says here is important. He says the Holy Spirit is not just for us up here. It's for you guys as well, for all who God calls. And so, if you're a Christian, if you've been baptized into Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. And the Holy Spirit is empowering you to glorify Jesus, to testify about Him. And there's no reason in this world why we should ever be afraid to tell other people about Jesus. We have the Spirit inside us. The power of God Almighty, the creator of the universe, is living inside us and amongst us, and we have more power than this world can ever know. So why aren't we telling them about Jesus? What's holding us back? We have a gift that was meant to be shared with the world. So my encouragement to you today is this. Share it. We pray with me? Gracious God, we are grateful for the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross. We're grateful that we can have forgiveness in him. And Lord, we are grateful for the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit that, that gives us power, that, that helps us to testify about you. Lord, I pray that we not worry about what life is going to be like, but instead worry about the one thing that really matters, and that is lost people. I pray, Lord, that we can share the good news of who Jesus is with this world, with this community, with, with whomever we come in contact with. And I pray, God, that uh, all, in all things, we will be focused on the fact that, that we don't need to be scared because you are on our side. And if you're for us, who can be against us? You are almighty, and you are empowering us to tell the world. I ask all these things in your name. Amen.